Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody. All right, today we're going to be talking about raised by abuse. And uh, I can tell you at least one out of every five person on this planet can relate to this topic. You know, they, they, we're just going to talk about all forms of abuse, including verbal, uh, sexual, physical abuse. But uh, we're going to start with the verbal abuse because verbal abuse is the most common. And, you know, the impact of verbal aggression and abuse tends to be discounted and marginalized in our culture. And there seems to be an unspoken agreement uh, that uh, uh, such abuse is only words. As people cite the children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never hurt me. But science couldn't be more uh, forthcoming in its disagreement with that, especially when it comes to kids. I mean, they're developing brains and, and the lasting effects of verbal abuse on their brains is profound. And uh, first and foremost, if, if science knows anything, is that bad is stronger than good. And, uh, you know, it, humans are hardwired to pay more attention to potentially dangerous and negative possibilities. And, and that, that's for evolutionary reasons, for the fight or flight, the reptilian brain, whatever you want to call it. But, the, you know, the, the results are very clear that we store the information in the part of the brain that makes it more accessible. And then it registers the potentially dangerous threats keeping them alive and well in the memory as to the key to survival because we're always feeling threatened. So when people are in the environment of abuse, they have a tendency to always be looking out for those keys that are going to make them feel scared and afraid. And they're going to attach to that in a very strong way, especially in childhood when you're stuck with these parents over 18 years and, and dealing with their verbal abuse and their nastiness and the, how they feel about themselves being projected on their kids. What basically happens is the kids' minds are developed into a more survival way. And if you think of somebody that lives in a third world country – they have a terrible opportunity to, to become great learners. And the reason is, is because they're always in fight or flight. They're, they're having to depend on family loyalty because law enforcement isn't available. Safety's not readily available. Laws aren't followed. And so basically, they're in a survival mode. So their education, there's not going to be about, you know, going to the moon or anything like that. It's going to be more about how do I survive? How do I get by? And then learning something extra is a great thing, uh, maybe a skill or whatever. And, and that's the opportunities that many of these third world countries offer. However, here in the United States, we're, we're safer in most parts of Europe. We're safer. So we can evolve and we can think because we're safe. And that's the problem. When p kids are raised in abuse, they're not safe. And so, you know, uh, uh, this applies to words as well. We respond more deeply and quickly to criticism than we do to praise. For example, and we remember the deflating or wounding remark with more exactness than the compliment. 
And this applies to children as well as adults. And so from this point of view, it's not surprising, especially given that we process negative and positive events through two different systems, that the positive doesn't offset the negative. So words are still damaging when you have one loving parent who uses his or her words with care and the one that is verbally aggressive or abusive That's the one that's going to cause the damage. And so oftentimes the other parent, the peaceful parent, is going to be the one uh, contradicting or trying to make the child feel safe. And so, you know, affectionate behavior by by one parent could somehow uh, mitigate or buffer the child uh, from the damage inflicted by the verbally aggressive parent. Well, that's not the case. Um, Even more salient is the finding that that the parent who is verbally abusive later demonstrates affectionate behavior and the effect of abuse isn't emerated and so bad is stronger than good. That means our brain is more enticed to grab onto the bad and that's because how we're designed. We used to have to run from the woolly mammoth um, and all those kind of things. So these findings counter the way we prefer to think about negative things in our life. We like the notion of a good balancing out of the bad and the good. So so it comes to a shock to most of it. There, there's no scientific basis for that optimistic assumption. In fact, many studies, including John Gottman's study on positive and negative exchanges uh, between spouses, put a, a ratio of five to one, meaning it takes five good things or exchanges to begin to lessen the impact of one bad one. And that doesn't include blotting out the memory of the negative event. So by the way, those memories are, are incredibly strong. And, and there was a study of some 2,000 adults in their 60s, in the 60s, that found when it came to telling their life stories, these are 60-year-old adults, they recalled painful events quite differently. Even when there's been a long interval of time since they occurred with the exception of childhood trauma, the researchers concluded that the older adults perceived positive events as central to their lives, largely because of cultural norms. But the negative events were perceived as central or turning points because of the related coping skills and the emotional distress that was brought on. And... um, there's this work by uh, Martin Thiecher, um, teacher, sorry, and, and his colleagues that showed that the human brain is highly adaptable. And so the evolutionary goal is for children to adapt to whatever environment they're in so that they're not in a constant state of stress. You know, if you're born in a safe, attentive, uh, attuned environment, the child's brain develops normally. When born into a, a, an unsupportive or a hostile environment, the brain doesn't. So studies show that various parts of the brain are affected by a hostile situation. Among them is, uh, you know, a conduit of transferring the motor, the sensory and the cognitive information uh, in between. And and so this gets affected. And so the hippocampus, which is uh, uh, part of the limbic system that regulates emotion and the prefrontal cortex, which is what makes us human, um, that they all are impacted. And this information is genuinely terrifying, but it also is uh, beyond dispute. Um, There's a study by uh, Akeem uh, Takimoto and others that, that point to a literal structural change in the gray matter of the brain, in the presence of verbal abuse without uh, proving causation. But this is done through uh, MRI studies um, and the the question whether verbal abuse changes how the brain functions. 
it's no longer a question because they've scientifically proven it through MRI studies, which is basically how's the blood flowing in the ba- in the brain, where's the brain most active when it's exposed to negative things. So, you know, there's a uh, there's a studies also that demonstrate that the circuitry for physical and emotional pain are are one and the same. And and so uh Naomi Eisenberger showed that the social rejection activated the same neutral circuitry as physical pain. In a more expansive way, uh, there was another study by Ethan Cross and their colleagues that demonstrated that the complexity of the connection in the experiment that used the MRI scanning to see what areas of the brain lit up when individuals who'd recently experienced being left by a lover viewed a photograph of their ex and an noxious amount of heat was applied to the forearm. So guess what? The same neurocircuitry was involved. And so social rejection hurts literally. And verbal abuse is social rejection expressed in language. You know, verbal abuse and gaslighting uh, if it started early in a woman's life, but really escalated as she becomes more independent, uh, her thoughts get shaped. Here's a 46-year-old lady that uh, you know was gaslighted by her parents and verbally abused. Now, what is gaslighting? Gaslighting means you you're told that you're crazy, but you know you're not, and so they push off and and on you and manipulate you to believe that you're crazy, so they don't feel like they're crazy. Um, so. This lady said, I, I'm very uh, critical of myself and overly sensitive. I have a very poor, almost dysphoric uh, image. Even though I've accomplished a great deal, I overanalyze other people's intentions in anticipation of rejection. And I'm not overly social and can be very negative. And I wonder if, I, I, you know, I seek out depressed feelings. I, I like melancholy songs or stories. And one of my greatest fears and motivators is not being enough for someone I care about. Now, this is a 46-year-old client who was gaslighted, not my client, but someone else's client. So, in, in textbook terms, basically, this woman suffers from rejection sensitivity, much like people from abuse, low self-esteem, like people that have been abused, and anxious and preoccupied style of attachment. So they can't always attach and they often are depressed or anxious and they self-defeat. They don't go, they don't carry through hard things often. And they're also prone to ruminate. Uh, Ruminate means we consistently just think the same things over and over and, and, and run over them in our minds. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? When there may not be any potential explanation whatsoever to help that person. And also, um, you know, you want to get a sense of how abuse affects a person's life, their self-image, their thought processes in the long term. You know, imagine skipping a stone over water then watching the ripple effect. There's There's this direct effect of verbal abuse in the moment, which inflicts deep emotional pain. And in most cases, this is an established pattern of repetitive behavior. So in addition to the cycle of pain, the child also develops coping mechanisms, which are maladaptive and often don't change in their adult lives. And so this affects their ability to have relationships. This affects their ability and and also mentors them and models a a way of uh, treating their children in such a horrible, horrible way. You know, verbally abused children may harm themselves Again, you know, arm themselves against the pain, which only lessens their already impaired ability to manage negative emotion and self-soothe. So babies learn to self-regulate and comfort themselves through attuning 
uh, through attuned parenting. So they, they basically follow their parent. But the verbally abusive parent is, is completely unattuned. So a child under the care of an abusive parent may be constantly flooded with feelings which further limit their growth or their emotional intelligence. And so emotional intelligence is basically your emotional IQ. It's your EQ. And that means how many emotions are you have access to? Because a lot of people will result to screaming and yelling and anger as an emotion that may reflect they're just frustrated or they're sad or they're tired or they're hungry, whatever it may be. But they only know how to do the anger emotion to represent that. So some people don't have a very strong emotional vocabulary, especially if they've had to deal with abuse because all they want to do is cope with it and hide from it. And finally, that there's internalized messages that are conveyed and those diminishing, hypercritical, shaming words and phrases changes people's personalities as children. So their self-esteem, their behavior, their self-criticism are very strong. And so this sounds more benign than it actually is, but it can can verge dangerously on self-hatred and being hobbled uh, uh, in extreme cases. And so, you know, this is a habit of mind that ascribes every glitch, setback, failure, uh, and, and flaws and characters leading to someone to think, I failed because I'm too stupid and worthless to do anything else. No wonder how um, um, she left or what, who ever truly loved me. But the bottom line is this kind of uh, self-talk is very hard to change. It's very hard to change without, you know, consciously moving yourself through that. And so in trying to, to, to get therapy or trying to surround yourself with positive people and relearn what you think about yourself, because we tend to reflect on ourselves based on how our parents have reflected on us. The other thing is people that are verbally abused have a tendency to not like uh they don't want to have conflict in their life. And unfortunately, if they're going to be in a relationship, they're going to have conflict because they have to compromise. So a lot of these people become passive aggressive. They stuff their feelings down and then somebody does something that's similar to the same insult over and over and over again. And eventually they blow and they look like they're absolutely nuts. And so it's kind of sad because they're never, ever fully able to be understood and they often look scary because they're uh, they're they're finally uh, releasing and, and their emotion and they only have a few and that's usually rage verbal abuse uh, and family dynamics is also something that people have to really take into consideration when this is something that's a part of their life verbal abuse and aggression doesn't take place in a vacuum it, it poisons the whole family And it springs and it just sprees out and and people feel it. Even if they don't live in the house, they can tell that there's a problem. Um, Adults who experienced verbal abuse in childhood often tell stories about siblings who joined in, bullied, scapegoated them. And they describe their fathers who stood by, said nothing as their mothers repeatedly marginalized and diminished. So, you know, a parent who relishes control often uses verbal abuse against one child as a way of manipulating another child in the household who may scapegoat or bully or single out the child to protect themselves from verbal aggression and they make themselves feel good and and curry favor with their parents. And this can happen uh, with a mother, a father, or both. So, you know, when verbal abuse is combined with gaslighting, when someone has said they have denied uh, the parent forcing the child to consider whether 
they have a grip on reality or might be crazy, that the impact is extremely toxic and undermining. So how do people recover from this? Well, the recovery process, I would say that I, I that most people have good days when they realize it's, it's the voice of a parent that's actually talking to them. And so the first step in, in recovering from the verbal abuse um, is to, to, to for, first of all, change the voice that's talking in your head. Change the language of what's talking in your head. Instead of living in fear, take a faith-based approach. Take a faith-based idea of, okay, how uh, I'm afraid that someone's going to hit me, but I have, I have faith that no one's going to hit me. So begin to understand that that how you view things, if you're going to de- view it from a defensive process, you, you want to also come at it from an offensive process, and that's the faith. That diminishes the fear. And we'll talk about that in a second. We're going to come to our next segment. So tune in and come back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. 
Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about raised by abuse. You know, the, the brains of uh, children raised in violent families resemble the brains of soldiers that are exposed to combat. You know, they're primed to perceive the threat and anticipate pain, adaptions that may be helpful in abusive environments, but produce long-term problems with stress and anxiety. And, uh, you know, for them to detect early cues that might uh, signal danger is adaptive. And it allows them to react and to try and to avoid danger. So naturally, they avoid conflict. So a very similar neutral signature characterizes quite a few anxiety disorders. And the problem with anxiety and depression is if you're coming out of abusive childhood, you've got to treat the child abuse first and change that dialogue before you can treat the depression and anxiety. If you come to terms with the child abuse, you usually can get through the depression and anxiety fairly quickly. But, you know, we have to understand that we have to start using different parts of our brains instead of our fight or flight mechanisms when we're having a fight with our spouse, when we're dealing with our children. We have to be the adult. We have to be intelligent. We have to find a better dialogue of emotions and a better way to express ourselves and become the better person. Um, you know, the words child abuse are likely to conjure up horror stories um, that, you know, the physical beatings, child locked in the closet, tied up for long periods. Um, it's, it's just unimaginable that people have done that. But in fact, abuse takes many, many forms beyond the physical. You know, research finds that its, it's impact is long lasting. It extends far into adulthood. And, and where it affects both physical and mental health. And and so we really have to take into account that, that abuse comes in all kinds of different forms. And so um, first consider less visible forms of abuse. Beyond the physical, they can create lasting consequences. For example, uh, parental neglect or indifference to a child's needs or temperament or outright humiliation or um, – you know, a, a deliberate denigration of the child, you know, all may be fueled by a parent, parent's own self-hatred or jealousy or narcissism in their own self. And they project it on their kids. Um, you know, examples range from the parent who leaves a child in the car, home alone for hours, or the parent who rebuffs the child who, you know, excitedly says, look at my new drawing or see what I wrote for my school project. But by giving them, you know, a curt, don't bother me right now, I've got to finish this report or got to finish this thing by ignoring the child. That is also abuse. And it's horrible. You know, why can't you be and then parents say, why can't you be more like your brother or your sister or whatever? That's another, you know, that, that means they don't even care about the child as a human being, as who they are. Um, and they're not parenting from the spectrum of understanding their child, you know, um, there are a lot of signs of hope, though. You know, you know that it. When you think about, there's a UCLA um, study found that the presence of a loving parental figure can provide protection to the abused child. But according to the report, it is well recognized that providing children in adverse circumstances with a nurturing relationship is beneficial for their overall well-being. And so the studies from UCLA suggests that a loving relationship may also prevent the rise of biomarkers indicative of disease risk among numerous uh, physiological systems. And, and so just getting out of all this language, stress kills. 
<laughs> if you're going to have anxiety and depression, it's going to be a derivative of child abuse. Not everybody with depression or anxiety had child abuse, but the bottom line is, is that um, when you have that child abuse, that is a stress symptom, and that that whole con- construct of the brain, the whole design of the brain, being reactive to life rather than proactive makes a, a person uh, very unsteady, very unsteady, and it also takes its toll on their immune system. You know, uh, touching seems to play a role in how the brain learns to construct a mental picture and an understanding of the body, which ultimately creates a coherent sense of self. So, um, you know, the absence of touching is linked to various physical and emotional disorders. Uh, you know, effective touch is typically received from a loved one. The, you know, but, but uh, you know, then that plays a critical role in the construction of the sense of the self. But, uh, you know, people, if they didn't get a lot of touching, are going to have a hard time receiving touching. They're going to, they don't understand the nurturing uh, practice of being touched. Many people don't want to be touched. They don't like it and uh, they don't want it in their life. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, a lot of this has to do with the fact that they didn't have a sensitive, loving relationship that was associated with being positive, supporting, and having nurturing uh, 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 feelings towards your children. And so, you know, the bottom line is, is uh, you know, parents have to be very conscientious about how they interact with their children. Because they are forming and and taking a very, very strong uh, uh, forming uh, aspect of how that child's going to think in their adult life. And so if you're going to become a parent, you need to be more mindful of, of your own behavior. And, you know... I really believe, I believe in God, I believe in Christ, and, and I, I'm a Christian, and I got to tell you, that aspect of, of a person's life, if you have it, is extremely important to keep you in balance and keep you in check on the way you are with your kids and with everyone in your life, because you are to be the light of Jesus. You are supposed to represent that, and that where it needs to be where your balance is. That needs to be what you always come back to. Even when you don't, that's what you come back to. So, you know, that aspect of, of Christianity is truly an honor, honorable one, and it's one that can help people in many, many ways. You know, sexual abuse is is heavy. You know, childhood sexual abuse, it it's a subject that's received so much attention, especially in recent years. You know, 28, and this is, I don't even know if this is a, a true figure, but 28 to 30 percent, 33 percent of women and 12 to 18 percent of men were victims of childhood sexual abuse. And, and sexual abuse that does not include touch and other types of sexual abuse are reported less often, which means that the number of individuals who received or who have been uh, sexually abused in their childhood may actually be greater uh, because some people do videotaping and, and turn them, uh, expose them to pornography at a very early age. You know, with a, with, a ex- with a high percentage of people having experienced childhood sexual abuse, it is likely, you know, that many people seeking therapy will have histories that include sexual abuse. And so it's imperative that counselors and are aware and familiar with the symptoms and the long-term effects associated with childhood sexual abuse because they can get a better understanding of what is needed. And so, you know, childhood sexual abuse, there, there's so many forms of it. The, the sexual abuse can involve uh, seduction, 
of a relative or it can be a violent act committed by a stranger. Um, the abuse can be hard to define because many different forms of it can take on different levels of frequency. So the variation of circumstances that can, can occur with different relationships and it, and it also may be associated with how a person defines himself sexually. So sexual abuse occurs whenever one person dominates and exploits or influences another person by the means of sexual activity or suggestion. And, and so if you want to just define uh, what childhood sexual abuse is legally, it's any sexual act overt or covert between a child and an adult or, or an older child where the younger's participation is obtained through, idea, um, through ideas and research. And, and so there's a seduction and, and coercion, which, you know, irrespective of how ch childhood abuse is defined, it generally has significant negative and pervasive psychological impact on, on many victims. So the majority of sexual abuse happens in childhood, with incest being the most common. And the impact of child sexual abuse will vary. It varies from case to case, person to person. You know, there's, there's studies that, that uh, compare the experiences of women who expend, uh, experienced uh, familial sexual abuse with women who experienced non-familial, and that means not in their family, sexual abuse. So they found that women who experienced um, family abuse, you know, within the family, reported their higher uh, current levels of depression and anxiety when thinking about the abuse. And th so there's other variables that they found that increased the levels of reported distress were abuse experiences that involve more extensive se sexual abuse, a higher number of experiences, and uh, the younger age during the first sexual experience. Now they feel dirty. Now they feel unclean. They feel like they don't have anything to offer another partner because they've lost that special thing that they wanted to give to the one they love. And so, you know, childhood sexual abuse infringes on the basic human rights of all human beings. And so children should be able to have sexual experiences at the appropriate developmental time and with their control and within their choice. And so the nature and the dynamics of sexual abuse and sexually abusive relationships are often very traumatic. And here in this day and age where we have these cell phones and these smartphones where they can Snapchat and Instagram pictures and then erase them and email and, and uh, you know, text – Kids are getting so exposed to sexuality so early that they're almost used to it. And, and it's, it's pretty sick. It's pretty sick. But, uh, you know, parents, you, you've got to get a better handle on your children's activity and know and understand what are they doing with this technology and what are they learning. So, you know, it, it's uh, the, the uh, long-term effects of childhood and sexual abuse has been uh, uh, correlated with higher levels of depression, guilt, shame, self-blame, eating disorders, somatic concerns. And by the way, oftentimes people that have been molested or sexually abused uh, will protect themselves by gaining weight or you know, making themselves unattractive because they don't want to be a, a sexual object. They don't want to be perceived as a sexual object. And so they try to be unattractive in a subconscious way. Some kids... Uh, uh, in their early teens and, you know, late, uh, late uh, eight to eight to 10 or somewhere in that, sometimes eight to 13 will, will actually poop 
in their pants. And they do that because they're trying to detract anyone and everyone from looking at them in a sexual way. And so um, it also creates dissociative patterns. That means where they – I've seen so many uh, personality – when people form different personalities, that's what a dissociative pattern is. They develop different personalities to cope with the pain that they've gone through. And every time they come across a sense of pain that they have in their life, they dissociate into the personality they use to get themselves through the pain. Um, There's also the repression being embarrassed and ashamed, so they keep it all inside. They deny. Then they oftentimes have sexual problems where they just can't have sex. And then they have relationship problems where they're just not normal. They can't function. And what is normal? There is no normal. But the bottom line is they're they're not they're out of balance. They're hard to deal with. They're defensive. They're sensitive. Um, depression has been found to be the most common long-term symptom among survivors. You know, so survivors may have a real tough time externalizing the abuse. And so they think negatively about themselves that it's all their fault. And so after years of neglect of, of self-thought, survivors have feelings of worthlessness and avoid others because they believe they have nothing to offer. And so, um, you know, survivors um, often state the depression to be uh, feeling down is much of the time and having suicidal ideation, having disturbed sleep patterns, having disturbed eating patterns. That's the most frequent thing in the survivors, uh, uh, survivors of long-term sexual abuse or any abuse. There is, uh, but sexual abuse especially. Oftentimes, the folks have um, they they have self-destructive behaviors. They experience more suicidal ideation, which means that they don't have a plan, but they they've been thinking about it. They don't have a plan. That's suicidal ideation. And so they usually uh, many have body issues and eating disorders that have also been uh, a long term effect and um, symptoms of uh, childhood abuse survivors. Their body image problems uh, is usually related to feeling dirty or ugly or dissatisfaction with their body or their appearance. And then the eating disorders and then fighting obesity. So survivors uh, their distress may also result in somatic concerns. So, you know, it, with women survivors, especially uh, somatic concerns uh, are significant more. That means they're medical concerns that the doctor can't really find the answer to. And those are usually a, a derivative of stress. You know, they oftentimes uh, sexual abuse. Uh, the survivors also experience difficulty in establishing interpersonal relationships. And so their symptoms are that, you know, they they hinder the development of their growth of relationships. So common relationship difficulties that survivors may experience are difficulties with trust, with fear, intimacy, fear of being different or weird, difficulty establishing interpersonal boundaries, passive behaviors, getting involved in abusive relationships. That's usually the big one. They since they've been in abusive relationships since their childhood that's what they've that's what home has become so they get used to that and often search for that okay we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back we're going to talk about physical abuse so come back live up to your fullest potential this is the voice america empowerment channel 
Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Please join Dr. Sarah, a.k.a. Dr. Red, on an amazing journey of love, soul, abundance, compassion, and authenticity. Dr. Red is a well-renowned healer, hypnotherapist, author, and speaker who has overcome personal challenges to emerge stronger than ever before to reach out to you and heal you emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the most informative and enriching experience filled with unbridled laughter and insights on life, health, culture, and society. Tune in to Dr. Redson. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about raised by abuse. I'm going to be talking now about physical abuse because the effects that physical abuse can be very acute and very far-reaching. It means very immediate. It's almost like the past is right here and now. And, and the, the immediate effect of uh, physical abuse may be a bruise or a cut, but the long-term effect can be a drastic like post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and oftentimes the effects of physical abuse can be felt by loved ones, especially children of both the victim and the abuser. And the physical effects of physical abuse should not be underestimated. You know, the physical effects on children of, of physical abuse is typically obvious and treatable by an emergency room physician or a healthcare provider. But it can range from cuts and bruises, broken bones, other physical um Maladies. There's, there's also long-term physical abuse effects uh, from injuries as well. Unfortunately, many of the injuries sustained from physical abuse affect the victim as they grow older. And so the long-term effects of physical abuse includes things like arthritis, hypertension, like high blood pressure, heart disease, um, sexually transmitted diseases in the case where sexual abuse is part of the physical abuse, the chronic pain syndromes, 
um, that's kind of what we talked about before, the, the somatic disorders. There's other physical illnesses such as diabetes may be worsened due to the physical abuse as a victim may have been denied access to uh, care. Uh, mur- murder and suicide are also frequently associated with physical abuse. Uh, pregnancies are frequently impacted by physical abuse, and the effects of, of, of uh, physical abuse on pregnancy is poor weight gain, preterm labor, miscarriage, uh, low infant birth weight. Um, unfortunately, some of the, the longest lasting and most debilitating effects of physical abuse are the psychological. And so depression, once again, is the primary psychological response to physical abuse, but drug and alcohol abuse are also common. And, and you know, women uh, have 16 times greater risk of abusing alcohol and nine times greater risk of abusing drugs when compared to non-abused women. So, you know, let's get back, and we're going to talk more about these symptoms. But here's an interesting thing. You know, abuse often starts with parents who spank. <laughs> and so they they will spank out of anger. They will not spank to teach. They will not they will they they want to do it immediately and they do it instantly and they hit their kids. And then they step it up and they step it up some more because the kid learns they have to be tougher and tougher and tougher. They have to find a way to deal with it. And so they continue to uh, raise their, the, the parent raises their skill level of abuse and uh, physical abuse, and it turns into enormous problems. Here's some of the big parts. Suicidal behavior. People that are physically abused feel that they are, have a diminished sense of the ability to survive, so why live? Because if, if, if I can get beat up by my parent, What's life going to, you know, what's life going to teach me? What's, it's nowhere it's going to be safe. And so self-harm is a big deal. The cutters, people that cut often come from physical abuse, um, panic disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, what's that? Well, it's after trauma. It's after trauma and it's long-term trauma or it may be an event and then it's past the 30-day window when it happened and they've never healed. You know, so children are really affected by physical abuse, even if they themselves were not the victims of violence. You know, it's been found that one-third of children who actually witness the battering of their mother or uh, a sibling demonstrate significant behavioral and emotional problems. And so the effects of physical abuse on children usually is, comes out in things like stuttering, um, Psychosomatic disorders, which uh, m- mental factors play a significant role, like like stomach pains or, or vague complaints of pain, anxiety, fears, compulsive behavior, night sweats, uh, panic attacks in the middle of the night, bad dreams, sleep disruption, lots of crying, problems at school, depression, self-destructive behavior like running away, anger, hostility, Low self-esteem, and I'm just going on on listing because it's so much. Difficulty trusting people, relationship problems. Children who witness physical abuse are also more likely to be victims, often women, or perpetrators, often men, of physical abuse as adults. And what's interesting is if we go back to the the uh, sexual predators and the abusive people, uh, abusive people that are abused usually abuse. So if they receive abuse, they usually abuse later on in life. Why? 
because they can't figure out why it happened to them. And so what do they do? They become the perpetrator to try to learn how to think like the perpetrator, and then naturally they fall into the trap. The other thing is with sexual abuse, molestation, all that kind of stuff, people that often perform that kind of sexual abuse on children and other people um, often are initially victims, and then they they want to become, once again, self-therapy. They want to become the perpetrator, and they do this subconsciously, by the way, in order for them to understand why it happened to them and what that person got out of it. And what does it do? Nothing. It doesn't teach them anything. And unfortunately, uh, people are often so stubborn that they will fall into the trap of trying to remedy their issues subconsciously. And all they do is hurt, hurt, hurt. So, you know, the, 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 mass, the, the vast majority of physical abuse victims are women. So it's about two out of three. And the majority of these are abused by, by men. So it's common to question why some men abuse women. Well, you know, there's no direct cause of physical abuse. There are also factors that are known to increase physical abuse, both both on the side of the perpetrator and on the side of the victim. So it's worth noting that women abused in marriages suffer greater severity of of abuse than those in other types of relationships. So what, um, what men abuse women? Well, no one type of man, no certain type of man, uh, is is likely to abuse, but there are some there's some you know triggers here. There's some things that you know kind of lead to that person's likely going to do this. Many of them have lower IQs and lower education and less clear thinking. Many are neurotic, anxious, nervous, defensive. That they're, they're less agreeable. Uh, they're not optimistic. They're they're more irritable. They're less uh, extroverted. Um, conscientious and open, they're, they're, they're less of that. They're less confident. Uh, they're more excitable. They're moody, hasty, self-centered, and authoritarian. And, and these kind of characteristics of men who abuse women alone show that they're more likely to lash out when they're provoked. So some men even show pride in abusing men, uh, women. Instead of being ashamed, they seem to be proud that they talked about kicking, biting, slapping their wives and girlfriends. You know, uh, it's amazing that people will do that, even in this day and age. You know, the causes of physical abuse may be related to one of the personality characteristics in uh, um, uh, in a male physical abusers, possibly the desire for unquestioned obedience and their lack of compassion uh, for those they consider weak or inferior. And so, unfortunately, sexism often rears its ugly head in these situations, and men consider women weak and inferior. And so, that's when a, a woman breaks a rule, man feels no com, uh, um, compunction against, uh, you know, uh, harsh punishments like physical abuse. So, you know, the physical, the causes of physical abuse should not be attributed to sexism alone. Power and control are the prevalent motivations for physical abuse, and uh, it shows a, a horrible, insecure personality. And, and if sexism is the only aspect to focus on, it's likely the physical abuse would simply be uh, suffered by another group of people such as the infirm. Uh, many, you know, elderly people get enormous amounts of abuse in today's world, especially in uh, places where people don't care for them. And even their own children, if they did a bad job raising them, the children may turn around and, and abuse their parent. Um, other risk factors with uh, 
physical abuse with men is usually uh, related to substance abuse, unemployment, stress, fatigue, dissatisfaction, maybe a history of violence, uh, psychological and physical impairments, uh, poor impulse control. And, and it's amazing, but pregnant women get abused. And so the abuse of pregnant women is common with 4 to 8% of women found to be abused and at least once during pregnancy. And in fact, homicide is found to be the leading cause of death in pregnant women in one study in Maryland. You know, it is thought that one of the causes of physical abuse during that time is because the man gets the feeling his importance is being displaced by the pregnancy. So the focus is no longer on him, and this threatens his sense of self-worth. And this may be of a particular shock to the man, often the young man, was expecting nothing in the relationship to change due to the pregnancy. So it's really critical that abused women get out of any situation of physical abuse, not just for themselves, but for their babies. Babies in abusive situations have increased risks of being born both prematurely and underweight. And so there's also additional health concerns for the mother, such as high blood pressure, kidney infections. You know, women aren't the only uh, victims of domestic violence or any kind of abuse. And, and it, you really need to understand uh, what domestic violence is. It's also known as int- intimate partner violence, and it occurs between people in an intimate relationship. So uh, domestic violence against men can take many forms, including emotional, sexual, physical threats of abuse. And it can happen in heterosexual or same-sex relationships. So abuse relationships always involve an imbalance of power and control. So an abuser is intimidating, hurtful behaviors to control their partner. So, you know, it might not be easy. And by the way, the only way to treat abuse is to recognize what it is. And bring it up, bring it out, and understand that it's got to be exposed. If it's going to stop, it has to be exposed. You know, they may call you names, uh, prevent you from going to work or school, stop you from seeing family members, try to control how you spend money, uh, what you wear. They act jealous and possessive or constantly accuse you of being unfaithful. They get angry when drinking alcohol or using drugs. They threaten you with violence. They hit, they kick. They shove, they slap, they choke. Otherwise, they hurt you, your children, your pets. They force you to have sex or engage in sexual acts against your will. They blame you uh, for their violent behavior and tell you that you deserve it. And if you're gay, bisexual, transgender, you may also be experiencing domestic violence if you're in a relationship with someone who threatens to tell friends, family, colleagues, community members of your sexual orientation or gender identity. So they may also tell you uh, that authorities won't help a gay or bisexual or transgender person. They may tell you that leaving the relationships means you're admitting the gay, bisexual, transgender uh, relationships are deviant. And then they justify the abuse by telling you you're not really gay, bisexual, or transgender. You know, it's just amazing how people will hurt other people. You know, don't take the blame. You may not be sure whether you're the victim or the abuser, but it's common for survivors of domestic violence to act out verbally, physically against the abuser, yelling, pushing, hitting them during the conflict. So the abuser may use such incidents to manipulate you and describe you as proof that you're the abusive partner. So you may have developed unhealthy behaviors. Many survivors do. And that doesn't mean you are at fault for the abuse. If, if you're having trouble identifying what's happening, Take a step back 
look at larger patterns of the relationship and then review the signs of domestic violence. In an abuse relationship, the person who routinely uses these behaviors is the abuser. The person on the receiving end is the abused. Even if you still aren't sure, help seek help. You know, intimate partner violence causes physical and emotional damage no matter who is at fault. And, and as far as children, how it affects them, even if you're just a witness, if you, if you have a child, remember that exposure to domestic violence puts them in a, a risk of developmental problems. So it means their life is no longer safe. And uh, so these kind of kids end up with psychiatric disorders, problems at school, aggressive behavior, low self-esteem. And, and you might worry that seeking help could further endanger you and your children. But, you know... Fathers might fear that the abusive patterns will try to take their children away from them. However, getting help is the best way to protect your children and yourself. So break the cycle. If you're in an abusive situation, you might recognize that your abuser threatens, your abuser strikes you, your abuser apologizes, promises to change. And, and that cycle just continues to repeat itself. And so, you know, create a safety plan. Protect your communication, your location. Use phones cautiously if you're in an abusive system. Use your home computer cautiously. Your abuser might use a spyware to monitor your emails and websites you visit. So, you know, considering using a computer at work or at the library at a friend's house to seek help. Also, remove GPS devices from your vehicle. Uh, Change your email password frequently. Clear your viewing history. These are all important situations, but in an emergency, if you're in an abusive situation, call 911, your locally uh, emergency number, law enforcement, and, uh, you know, go to someone you can trust. Um, there's a, you know, domestic violence hotline, 1-800-799-SAFE, and that provides crisis intervention and referrals and resources for people. Also, you know, a local court, a health care provider, any of that can assist you. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can write me through our webpage on voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. Also remember, you have old age skills when you can choke on air, fall on the stairs, and trip over nothing. I can attest for that. (laughs) Remember, if we shouldn't eat at night, Why is there a light in the refrigerator? Ah, and lastly, there are four stages of life. You believe in Santa Claus. You don't believe in Santa Claus. You are Santa Claus. And you look like Santa Claus. (laughs) Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 